This is Your Own Voice, the podcast about gender experience and perspective. I'm Amy Breslow. Each week I invite a different guest to share their personal experiences regarding gender and gender issues. When I use the word gender, I mean the range of social roles, personality traits, attitudes, behaviors, values, and relative power that society assigns to females, males, and other individuals. Gender is an identity that is learned. How we define gender changes over time and can vary within and across cultures. This podcast is recorded at my kitchen table and may contain sounds of life from my home and neighborhood in Washington, D.C. Episode 26. My guest today is Elle, who identifies as an activist, a feminist, a woman, and an Arab Lebanese American. Elle prefers she, her pronouns. Hello, Elle. Welcome to Your Own Voice. I am so pleased to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be with you. So, Elle, I'd like to start off by asking, how do you identify? Good question. Um, I think I would start by saying that um, I'm an activist, um, a feminist, and a woman. I think these are the, the three elements that I identify with mostly. And what pronouns do you use? She, her, hers. Um, and I would say in the context of being in the United States, I'm also, I identify as Lebanese American. So when did you first become aware of different gender roles? Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was very early on, I would say at the age of three or four, and largely because I grew up in a family where I had mostly a male cousins who were my age. Um, I only had my sister, who was two years younger than me, and I just kind of liked to play with the boys, but that was always frowned upon and unaccepted, and I've uh, been occasionally punished for it. Um, it certainly led to bullying, verbal abuse, um, and pretty quickly realized that I had to adhere to a certain aesthetic. I had to present in a certain way. I had to play, imagine, play in a certain way. Um, and I just refused to do that. And so... I've been called tomboy, I've been called unruly, disruptor, and it was hard, it was difficult, but it was who I was. You made a comment about facing consequences when you did stand up and say, no, I'm not going to do what you're expecting of me, I'm going to be true to myself. Can you talk or share a little bit about what kind of consequences did you face? I'm smiling because it, it also kind of reminds me of what Elizabeth Warren said last week about women being called fat broads and horse-faced lesbians, because that's what we're called when we don't conform. So I think one of the major consequences was, yeah, you're going to be a spinster. You're too much. Um, you're too smart to be in a relationship. You're too smart to be um, loved and cared for. As if, you know, if you, 
if you want to be loved, you have to be stupid. You have to be submissive. Uh, and I said, fine, that is okay. If that's going to be a problem. I think one of them, you know, I've been even harassed within my own family for making choices like working as a bartender in order to pay for my private education in Lebanon. I don't come from money. I had to work hard to be at the institution that I was studying at. And that meant that I had to work odd hours in order to perform and be top of my class. Um, and the most lucrative job that was available at that time was bartending. That's in like 1999, post-Civil War. And there was not a lot of outlets for women to do jobs that allow them to make enough money and have enough time to study. I was going to either have to be a secretary with almost a full-time job and make very little money because I'm expected to bring coffee and answer the door or go be a, a badass bartender and make a lot of tips and a lot of money and pay for school. And that's what I did. What that meant is a lot of people called me names. We're not going to use those names, but you know what I'm referring to. And said that this is going to destroy my chances of being married, as if that was my objective. <laughs> of course not. And it, it kind of ostracized me from a part of my family for a while. But I had the support of my mother. I had the support of my sister. Uh, who also started working with me um, in that same place. We kind of like landed each other support. Uh, as you know, women working um, in any industry face a lot of sexual harassment, but more, more specifically in the culinary industry, um, that is like really right there in your face. So that was one of the consequences. I can think of many, many other consequences. Have you always had such a thick skin or is this something you had to develop no definitely I had to develop it I I think the bullying took a very long time to heal I, it took me a very long time to heal from the bullying I think it's a journey and you know we're emotional we're people sometimes things happen in your personal life where you feel that emotional support that emotional bank account that you need to be feeding is when it's completely drained you have to look backwards and see you know how else can you rebuild yourself so that you can face this constant oppressive attack on your being as a as a person um, and so I've definitely experienced ups and downs and that is why my advice is you know build your tribe you need to have people who um, can sing your praises sometimes, it is okay. We can say that we are successful because we are. And it's so important that we give it back to other people and recognize when we're seeing a leader and what they need in order to continue to succeed. I am going to quote you, build your tribe. I love it. I love it. I think that is great advice. Yes. What do you think is possible today, given the current conversation around gender, 
that was not possible even a few years ago. One of the tools that we have now available to us is to say, this is discrimination. Now we have a word for the kind of oppression that we used to deal with on a daily basis. We can push push back against uh, locker room talk, right? Even though we did not, we were not able to do so uh, in the last uh, presidential election. But by and large, we have been able to start that conversation somewhere. I think women know now know that if they are in a setting where they feel uncomfortable, they can say, "I'm uncomfortable. This is harassment." I would like to withdraw consent from this relationship. I would like to assert my right to tell you what I like and what I don't like at home or um, at work or in in your intimate life. So I think we're starting to realize that we have power and we can claim it. Sometimes we realize that it's it's also falling short and I hope that this doesn't discourage people. And I'll give you an example. What happened to Katie Hill is profoundly unfair. Um, I don't know if if it really reached the news here. Why don't you say a few words? So Katie Hill is um, a, a Democratic U.S. representative from California who flipped a district who was red to blue. And uh, Katie Hill is bisexual, and she had made um, open marriage choices with her husband prior to running for office. And then she decided to divorce. And once she did, after she became an elected official, her husband used their personal life to attack her publicly, to smear her, to publish intimate pictures of her that, you know, I don't know, they had consensually or not consensually taken, but certainly not consensually published online to tarnish her reputation. She had to resign because she could not take the attack, the severe vicious attack on her. So this is a woman who consensually had made sexual choices in her life with her partner, who gets penalized for making these choices when we have a president who has a history of sexual harassment, who brags about harassing women, I'm going to leave it to that, um, and gets away with it. So yes, We have come a long way. We are now able to identify what is sexual harassment. I think companies are making an effort to have everybody watch that video about what sexual harassment is and how uh, sexual talk at the workplace can be intimidating for women and coercive. But I don't think that the companies are doing enough to implement these policies that they have on paper. Time and again, I have women coming to my office and telling me, I'm afraid to report this because I fear retribution. I don't know that I can save anonymity. I think I will be identified as the one who blew the whistle. But here, going back to the building your tribe notion, oftentimes we realize that this harasser is usually a serial harasser, and he's done that to many women. And so the ability to be able to talk about this and be in solidarity with other women is something to think about as a tool to push back against these systems, against these people, because it's very important to be safe. Safety is paramount. It is first. I do not want anyone to throw themselves in the fire 
and, you know, be kicked out of, of their work because of reporting a situation like this, even though I'm not sure you want to work there um, if you are in that situation. But still, you know, sometimes we need to... You have to feed your family. We have to feed your family, yeah. exactly. But it's, it's becoming clear that the more women come together and talk about these issues, they can build alliances, they can create a pattern uh, of proof, which ironically, the burden of proof is always on us women, right? And not on the harasser. But it's certainly much better than it was years before. I continue to appreciate how you keep coming back to the tribe, working in community, working together, that when we're individuals, it's so easy to be exposed. But when we're supporting one another, be it in the workplace or friends or or what have you, that that really makes such a huge difference when you don't have to face this alone. And also just in terms of not being in the dark about other things that could be happening. It's an excellent point. What would you like to see everyday people do to make a change around gender now? I'm a strong believer in personal initiative. And I think every one of us has the opportunity to make a difference from whatever she's standing. And so one example I like to give is how my boss, a former boss of mine, inspired me to take a stand around making a point of holding panels or participating in panels that are only women or majority women. And then take it a step further and say we want in addition to gender diversity, also racial diversity. And so make sure that we have more people of color on that panel. And so since 2008, I can proudly say that I have not participated and or organized and or hosted a panel or an event that was not majority women, that did not reflect a majority of diversity. And I'm so unapologetic about it. We even took it a further a step further and we made an announcement that we would not participate in any panel that does not have at least parity between genders because women's voices need to be elevated in order to start bridging the gap, right? We have had men take the lead for so many years and if we held women-only panels from now until 100 years later, we won't be reaching parity. Women need to stand up for each other and speak up for each other. If you see something wrong, you have to say something. You can't just sit on the side and let that woman take that attack on her own. And that attack can be implicit. It can be a microaggression. I think women in solidarity are stronger. Elle, I'm not sure we set this up front, but even though you're from Lebanon, you currently live in Los Angeles. And you were telling me a story, something that happened to you on the flight from LA to DC. I think that's connected 
to the question I just asked. Would you mind sharing that story? So on the way here, I was on the airplane sitting next to two women, both of them um, really talking about their careers, about encouraging their daughters to play a role in politics, sounded very progressive. And I asked, um, who are you voting for? And I assumed both would say Elizabeth Warren, given the description that they had given me about themselves. And it's true, both of them wanted Elizabeth Warren, except that one of them voted for Bernie because she was worried about what she was seeing in the polls, in the media, the results of the first three states where Elizabeth Warren did not perform um, as expected. Um, Mind you that these three states, the total votes don't really account for a portion of the L.A. County uh, votes that will be cast next week. So, you know, I asked her, why did you do this? And she said, well, I was worried that if I vote for her and she's not she's not going to perform well, my voice will, my vote will be wasted. And I looked at her and I said, I'm going to vote for her because I want to have the courage to claim my own voice. She has been, actually being courageous is one of her taglines in the campaign. I want to have the courage to believe that I can have a woman president. I want to have the courage to believe that there is some good in this world and women have a chance. And if she doesn't make it, that's okay. But we're building something forward. We're not just holding back. I think one of the major problems we've been facing, women around the world, is that we always hold back. And so she felt really bad after that. And she, she said, you are so right. I should have voted with my heart, with what I dream to see, as opposed to what I think I can achieve. And I, this is like a common concept that we keep reliving in our society today as women. I think that story is very illustrative of making a decision for what you think you can get as opposed to really going for what you really want. And we make these decisions always, like even at work, right? Like, what is the salary I should be asking for? What, um, what is the position? What is the title I should fight for? It's what, what am I allowed to be given? And I think I've experienced that in my recent job. So when I interviewed for my job, um, I had two conflicting ideas, like should I be, you know, let me just give you a context. I'm a big Arab woman with large curly hair. You can see that. I can see your face smiling right right at me. And I have a very pretty commanding voice and I could be very intimidating at times, Uh, but this is who I am. And so I was between these two minds of like toning it down, wearing a skirt, trying to dissipate the whatever stereotypes I might be, uh, you know, projecting, and or just be this powerful woman who is gonna go in and take the bull by the horns. 
And I had these two scenarios pretty well built in my mind and I wasn't quite sure what to do uh, and which one to pursue. But then like um, Mother Earth likes to do to you, I had to, I happened to have a, um, a gathering with one of my neighbors. We have a kind of like a monthly meeting where women get together and we talk about everything we're going through and we give, give each other advice. Uh, on everything and anything, um, intimate and professional, uh, which makes it really, really fun. And I was talking to these women about, you know, preparing for this meeting and all the women jumped at me and they said, you need to be a force of nature. You need to be you. You do not want to be in a job where you do what it takes to get in, but then you're not living the way you want to live. And so I I went to that interview with the mindset that I'm going to tell them that if you want to hire me, I'm going to be in charge. And it worked. They actually, this is what they wanted. They wanted someone to be in charge. And I got what I asked for. I'm very happy that I made this choice to be myself and not to question myself. And I I would like to just add here that, you know, as an Arab slash Lebanese, whatever you want to call me, living in the United States, I had to deal with race for the first time in my life and what it means to face racism and, and how it really breaks you down. It's very similar to gender oppression. These stereotypes that you carry with you and you try to push back on them all the time and so I'm always conscious about you know being a woman and being an Arab and you know having to push back against all the stereotypes that I get on a daily basis why are you not wearing a hijab are you allowed to drive in Lebanon like they're not they don't even know geography right (laughs) have you ever been in a situation where you thought I can't do something, fill in the blank. Or if I do try to do this thing, perhaps I can do it. But if I do try, the consequences would be so great that I made a decision, no, it's just, it's not worth trying. Your question actually applies to how women apply for jobs. Whether here. Can you say a few words? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So... And let's have a conversation about that, right? You get an email for a job announcement. And the first thing you do is you look at the qualifications, right? And you start putting a check mark on each of the qualifications. Yep. Do I have that? Do I have that experience? Do I match exactly the amount of years that they want to see on the CV? And oftentimes we rule ourselves out because we feel that, oh, we don't have 10 out of 10 of these qualifications. Whereas men, there's been several studies, I can't quote one of them right now, but those studies show that men have one of these 10 qualifications and they think they're qualified to apply for that job. And so think about how we are taught that we need to be perfect And we need to be flawless in order to be deserving of a job, of a lover, of a family, of respect, 
of a public position. This continuous attack on our psyche about how we need to perform and what is it that we can bring to the table that is so unreachable to other people. And we end up ruling ourselves out. So my advice to women is, and this is probably controversial, act like a man. You know? Evaluate yourself the same way men evaluate themselves and put that job application forward. You have nothing to lose. See what comes out of it. And when you walk into that interview, walk with confidence and with the realization that you can compete and you have what it takes, no matter what qualifications are there on the paper. This was exactly my experience earlier in my career. I would look at a job application and if I didn't have, yeah, all 10 or at least nine, I would think I couldn't apply. And somebody said the exact same thing to me. However, with a slight caveat, she didn't say, act like a man. She was really specific not to say that. Mm -hmm. But she said, make a decision right now that you are never going to pull yourself out of the running. Mm -hmm. That you are never going to count yourself out. Mm -hmm. Somebody else has to make that decision. Your part is to show up and to do your best. And and I appreciated that because I didn't, personally, I don't want to be a man. <laughs> I don't want to act, quote unquote, act like a man. That's not where I want to put my emphasis. I want to put my emphasis on looking at my own behavior and thinking, how can I be an, a confident woman, an engaged woman, a woman who is not going to self-sabotage before I even get up to the plate. I totally agree with that. Um, I think it, it, it takes a lot for us to be courageous. And I want to remind women that being courageous and having courage does not mean that you don't have fear. But what it means is that you just fight this fear with action and you persevere. And the fear is there and you overcome it. And there's another fear that's going to come out and you're going to be courageous again and defeat it. Mm -hmm. I always say we give birth for God's sake. You know, what can be more difficult than that? Is there anything else you'd like to add, either on something that we've already discussed or something that I didn't bring up? So... I would like to take the opportunity of this podcast to give a shout out to all these badass women. Can can we say that? We can definitely say that. We can that. say witches. Can we yes. say <laughs> troublemakers, disruptors. Nasty women. Nasty women. Yep. Yeah. Let's do that. So I want to give a shout out to all these nasty women who have been uh, standing up to this administration and the immigrant right movement and really taking it to court uh, supporting families, young children, um, men um, who have come here to build a life and are persecuted like parasites. This is a turning point 
in movement building, I think. Um, I'm going to take the example of Los Angeles. Every three or four months, I get together with a couple of community organizations and uh, with um, one of our amazing senators. Can I say her name? Yes, you may. Kamala Harris, who has been an amazing supporter for the immigrant right movement. And we honor the women who are leading the movement. Um, we celebrate them and we showcase them as sheroes and to inspire other women and young men to join the movement in fighting for what is right. And I, I always start my presentations with saying, you know, we see the media quoting mostly the men, the very few men who are in this movement, whereas look around you, this is a room full of women who have been leading this um, movement uh, since this administration came to power. Mind you that these women are mothers, they are sisters, they are caregivers, they have very little time. They decided to move and work in public interest as opposed to rich law firms to defend other people and or to organize. Not all of them are lawyers. And so I, I just want to say thank you for these women who are making a difference um, for immigrants like me and others. I am so lucky to be able to be working with them. They inspire me every day. They are the reason why I get up in the morning and I feel like I have a purpose. I'm, I'm a new citizen in this country. I'm learning every day about US history, the good and the bad. But what keeps me going is knowing that I am part of a movement that is really standing up for people's rights and humanity and the right to be treated humanely and kindly and actually uphold the American values, whatever that means, because with this administration, I'm not quite sure anymore what value means. Um, so a shout out to these women. Most of them are women of color. Most of them have nothing except for their passion to give. And it is making so much difference everywhere in my city in Los Angeles. Elle, thank you so much, not only for being here and sharing this today, but for the work that you are doing in California, for the work that you have done in Lebanon and other parts of the Middle East. I am so happy that you are an American citizen now. <laughs> I'm really, happy too. I'm, I'm happy that you're here. I'm happy that you are bringing your passion and and working on so many important topics. It has just been a joy talking with you. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Your Own Voice, the podcast about gender experience and perspective. Your Own Voice is produced by me, Amy Breslow, with IT support from Alex Moreno and is registered with ProtectRight, music by Kevin McLeod. If you have comments or questions you'd like addressed on the show, please submit them on the website, yourownvoice.org contact. 
If you're interested in supporting this podcast, I invite you to check out my Patreon page, patreon.com, your own voice podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I'll be back in two weeks with the next episode. Until then, take care and be well.